0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I If you're fascinated by the darker sides of humanity, join us every week on our podcast, Serial Killers
1: And this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those just voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. This week as our special guest reader, we are joined by Anita Kalathara. I'll bet that many of you will recognize her voice from the DreamWorks film Trollstopia, where she was Laguna Tidepool, or from Need for Speed Heat, where she played Roshni, she also an actress who can be seen currently in Season 3 of Doom Patrol on HBO Max and in the film India Sweets and Spices out in theaters in November. Zombies, werewolves, and vamps. Oh my. These three staples of Halloween have become so mainstream. We almost forget their origins. We forget that deep in the shadows lurk bloodsuckers pining for a taste of you to survive. Broken-boned beasts with an instinct to kill, and mindless bodies ready to eat your brains. Never forget that these are the monsters of the night. First, a funhouse of terror and blood, followed by the ultimate predator becomes prey. Then, Halloween pranks that kill. Finally, in our featured story, a killer party to die for. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. And of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcasts, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. So... Want to hear something scary? Monsters of the Night. A haunted house can be seen as the epitome of Halloween, especially when visiting with friends. However, make sure to check if that blood is really just corn syrup, like in this story inspired by Sydney. A haunted house was just the thing for Halloween, and Marin and her friends Laura and Lee Hong were excited. They'd been waiting for this adventure all month and knew some other 8th graders from Mallerman Junior High would be there too. As they wandered through the hall of mirrors and on to the spooky wax works, they shrieked and giggled, enjoying the thrill and looking forward to the carnival food trucks at the end. The frights progressed as they got further through the attraction, the suspense of not knowing when a scare actor might jump out, keeping their adrenaline high. They'd already been duped by a very realistic robotic hangman, and falling for a patient on an operating table who suddenly reared up, making them all scream with delight as they took in the open chest cavity dripping with fake blood. The final part of the house was a maze, with each path designed to mess with your sense of direction and a potential horror waiting around every corner. They were close enough to the finish now to be able to smell the fried dough and cinnamon in the air. Just as they reached the next dead end, Lara cried out. Slumped on the ground, with a very realistic axe sticking out of his head, was Sean, a boy from their class. Lee Hong screamed, and the teens grabbed hands and tried to run back in the direction they had come. But in their panic, they took the wrong path, and Marin became separated from her friends. Alone and terrified, she tried to find her way out of the maze, or at the very least, back to Lara and Lee Hong. She called out to them, but there was no answer. The hedges and wooden panels that made up the maze seemed larger, sturdier somehow, and no matter which way she ran, she never seemed to find the exit. All around her were the sound of screams. She just didn't know if they were from her friends or part of the show. Tears streamed down her face as it began to dawn on her that she was trapped there was a killer on the loose. Marin could feel the crushing weight of fear upon her chest as she struggled to see, the darkness having intensified, leaving her to use her hands to feel for openings in the pathways. Her elation at finding a gap in the prickly hedges, indicating a turn, was short-lived as she stumbled over something which was blocking her exit. The scream froze in her throat as she took in the sight of Lara, throat cut, ear to ear. She struggled to stand again, feet slipping in Lara's blood. Whimpering, she crawled past the body of her oldest friend, hoping Lee Hong had somehow gotten out and alerted security. This was their last Halloween before high school. It was supposed to have been full of festive fun, subtle scares, and fabulous food. Now two of her classmates were dead, brutally murdered, and she was still stuck inside this never-ending maze. Unsure of how long she'd been in there, crawling on her hands and knees, she slumped onto the dusty ground and prayed for morning. Face down, she didn't see the flashlight at first, and she gave a cry loud enough to wake the dead when someone placed their hands under her arms to lift her up. Then more light, voices, a flash of uniform, and then everything faded to black. Marin awoke in the hospital the following morning. As her eyes adjusted to the harsh lighting and her mind to the fact that she was still alive, she realized she was not alone. Li Hong lay in a bed beside her, sleeping. "'You gave us quite the scare,' said a familiar voice, and Marin began to cry again, this time in sheer relief at seeing her parents. They explained Li Hong had managed to escape the maze and the killer to raise the alarm. The police had swept the area, unable to find the person responsible for the gruesome deaths, but saving both her and a fellow eighth grader, Brandy. The bodies of Laura, Sean, and another classmate, Grady, had also been recovered. Detectives would want to speak to her and Lee Hong as soon as they could, but for now, Marin snuggled into her mom's embrace. They had wanted a Halloween adventure to remember, and now they would always be the final girls of Mallerman Junior High. Thank you so much, Sydney, for inspiring this maze of horror for us. Have you ever walked through a haunted attraction or found yourself lost in a maze? Would you be able to tell the scare actors from the guests or from someone else just waiting for their killer performance? If any of our stories have inspired your own killer tale, make sure to email it to us, at snarled.com.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's angi.com. Danger comes in all
1: shapes and sizes. Never underestimate it or you'll be dead before you know it. Like in this story inspired by Christopher B. The bustling nightlife of Barkwood was a thing of the past. Now... Its streets were near empty at night, and it was all because of the Beast of Barkwood. Several vicious attacks had occurred recently that seemed to be the work of some kind of wild and rabid animal. Some said it was a serial killer. Others claimed the work of a werewolf. Only those with night shifts or who simply refused to cower away ventured outside after dark. Among those was Leo, a hired gun who operated within the town's criminal underbelly. He often frequented a bar called Vito's, where those in similar professions were known to operate. While many had been scared off by the rumors of the beast, Leo wasn't worried in the slightest. You see, Leo was the beast of Barkwood, and the rumors were true. He neither remembered nor cared how he had become a werewolf. What he did know was that it made him far more efficient at his job. And with rumors of the beast floating around, it was even easier to get his work done. He'd finish the job and have dinner at the same time, all while garnering no suspicion. It was the ultimate win-win scenario. But sometimes... Complacency makes you sloppy. One night, as he was leaving the bar to go to a hit, he noticed a beautiful woman walk in. As he passed by her on his way out, he heard something clatter loudly to the ground. He looked down and saw a white horn-handled knife on the floor. He reached for it, locking eyes with the woman. It was hers. He handed her the knife, asking for the name of the woman brave enough to be out late at night with such a murderous beast on the loose. She responded with a sly grin and walked away. Leo shrugged and continued out of the bar, heading to the park where his target was due at any time. He hid behind some trees and waited. Soon, an older man appeared and Leo identified him as his target allowing his beastly transformation to begin. Before long, his bones had cracked and reset. Thick hair and claws had sprouted and sharp fangs had burst from his jaw. The werewolf complete, he readied himself for attack. Suddenly, his target was yanked from the path into a thick set of trees. Before he could react, he heard the man screaming in something... Growling? Leo ran over to investigate. As he came through the trees, he heard loud flapping as something took off in the opposite direction. The target himself, or at least what was left of him, lay in a bloody mess on the ground. Leo was furious. He sniffed the air, catching the trail, and dashed after it. Thankfully, It took him through several dark and abandoned alleys where nobody would see him. This new guy seemed smart, but nobody muscled in on his territory. He picked up speed as the trail grew stronger, finally reaching a dead end. The scent was there, but he had nowhere else to go. Then he heard the same growling as earlier, coming from above, Along with strong, whooshing noises, he looked up and saw another creature, a scaly monster with claws, sharp black eyes, and large bat-like wings. Leo snarled and bared his teeth, swiping at the creature with his claws. It swatted back with one of its wings, knocking Leo to the ground. He quickly pulled himself up and looked back to the sky, catching sight of the creature flying towards a nearby rooftop. He leapt up a fire escape and onto the roof. Scanning all around, he saw no trace of the creature yet. Its scent remained strong. As he turned around to check further, a searing pain ripped deep into his chest. He started to look down, but then the creature's hand shot out and grabbed Leo by the neck, lifting him up, up, and over the edge of the rooftop. He tried to struggle, but whatever the creature had done had weakened him severely. It then reached for his chest with its other hand and yanked something out, sending waves of agony through Leo. In the creature's hand was a white horn-handled knife. To answer your question from before, the creature intoned. My name is Jaslin, and I just stopped in for a quick bite. With that, Jaslin let Leo drop to the ground. Just before his vision faded, he saw her descending towards him, razor-sharp fangs protruding over a malicious grin. For the next few days... The town was abuzz with the news of the Beast of Barkwood's demise. Local forensics confirmed with what little had been left of Leo. Mainly, some hair and claws. They'd unlikely ever know its true identity. Then again, most didn't care. They were just happy to have their town back. Once again, Barkwood could rest a little easier. They were safe. At least until Jaslyn got hungry again. Thank you so much, Christopher B., for inspiring this monster tale. Would you feel protected if you knew it was a beast that was keeping you safe? If somehow you were given the choice, would you choose to be a vampire or a werewolf? Hi,
2: it's Anita Kalathara here. You might know me as an actress from shows like Doom Patrol or a voice actress from shows like Troll's Topia, where I play Laguna Tidepool. But today, I am so excited to be reading a story for Something Scary's month of haunted Halloween. Skeptics can easily explain ghost stories and hauntings as fake, fun, and games. That is until the skeptic becomes part of the story like in this tale inspired by Ellie. Three days before Halloween, Carmen decided to host a sleepover with four of her closest friends. Her plan was for everyone to play scary games, watch The Exorcist, and sleep in her parents' basement. The night of the sleepover, Carmen lit some candles, dimmed the lights, and the girls sat in a circle, preparing for the seance. Carmen's friend, Trang, called to the spirits, asking them to show themselves and prove that ghosts are real. Suddenly, something brushed up against Trang and Carmen's leg. Trang let out a scream as Carmen grabbed hold of whatever had touched her. With her grip tight, Carmen revealed that her brother Raul had let his pet iguana, Samson, into the basement. Carmen considered herself a skeptic. She believed that everything had a logical explanation and that ghosts didn't exist. Soon, though, the lights began to flicker, scaring Carmen's friend, Samantha. Trying to reassure her, Carmen told everyone that it was probably Raul messing with the fuse box. Samantha calmed down and they continued. Halfway through, the girls heard tapping from inside the basement. That was enough, and Carmen jumped up and flicked the dimmer switch, but the lights didn't work. Suddenly, the room was filled with maniacal laughter. Carmen grabbed a candle and followed the sound, only to discover her older brother hiding under the sofa. Raúl confessed to letting his iguana run through the seance in hopes of scaring them, but he had nothing to do with the lights flickering. He even told them that he wasn't the one in the room laughing and that they should stop their seance, but they didn't believe him. Angry that he messed with their seance, the girls tied him up and decided to use him as a guinea pig for their next game. Trang suggested they play Concentrate, and explained how it worked. One person would stand in the middle of the room while the group chants, Concentrate! Concentrate! People are dying, children are crying, crying. Concentrate, concentrate. concentrate! Concentrate! The person in the middle is pushed forward and a color is revealed to them, showing them how they will die. Still tied to a chair, Raul was seated in the middle of the floor, pleading to be released. Carmen led the chant, and their voices grew louder. Raul's body became rigid. He begged the girls to stop, but they continued. With the final words of the chant uttered, Carmen pushed her brother forward and he fell to the floor. When they picked him up, Raul was terrified. He told the girls that he saw the color red. Trang told them that the color red symbolizes a bloody death. Carmen laughed it off and told her friends that Raul loved to scare people. She then led her brother out of the basement and locked the door behind her. From outside the door, Raul begged her and the girls to get out of the basement, but they ignored him and continued with their sleepover. As the sun began to rise, Carmen opened her eyes, realizing that she had fallen asleep. She turned to her friends, only to discover that they were all dead, Each had their necks sliced so deep she could see their spinal cords. She screamed in terror and ran up the stairs to the locked basement door. But when she tried to open it, the handle broke off. She was trapped with her four dead friends with no way to explain what had happened. She banged on the door crying out to her family, but no one came to her rescue. Days later, police arrived at her house and discovered that Carmen's entire family had been slaughtered and that downstairs in the basement were the bodies of five other girls. Carmen couldn't believe her ears. They said five girls, yet she was standing right in front of them. She tried to explain to the officers that there must have been an evil spirit that escaped during the seance and killed everyone. But she suddenly realized in horror no one in the room could see or hear her. One of the cops turned to his partner, and mentioned that in his 25 years on the force, he'd never seen anything like this. There was no evidence of a home invasion. No weapons had been found. It was unexplainable. Carmen listened to the words coming out of his mouth as the enormity of the situation dawned on her. She was a ghost and was doomed to spend eternity stuck in the basement. People would move in and out of the house and dismiss the noises they heard. And the sensations they felt. Just like she had.
1: If only she had been a believer. Thank you, Anita, for reading that story for us. And thank you to Ellie for inspiring such a scary tale. How would you know if you're dead or alive? How about your siblings? Do they play spooky pranks on you? Do you have a way to make them pay for it? Halloween is a time for treats and parties, and sometimes you'll do anything to get an invitation. But most importantly, it's the time where the veil between worlds opens, and you never know what might be waiting for you. Cena arrived home after school to a dark and silent house. This wasn't unusual. Her parents worked long and unsociable hours, but she had other things on her mind. She stared at the flyer in her hand. Graveyard Smash at OWC. Friday, October 31st, 11 p.m. till whenever. Bring drinks, YOLO. Snitches get stitches. The legendary Halloween party occurred each year and was strictly invite only. She felt a flutter of anticipation because she knew if this was the party to be seen at, then Dylan would be there. She tried to call her parents just to say she was home, but the line rang out. The party was the talk of school the following day. As she sat at her desk, Sina felt her cell vibrate in her pocket. Job not finished. Hope to be back before 31st, but do recon just in case. Love you, MND. She felt a pang of sadness that her parents were caught up with work. After class, Sina headed over to Old Wakefield Cemetery, strolling around the familiar yet empty surroundings. It was overgrown in places, markers crumbling left to rack and ruin. Soon, the tranquility would be replaced with parting teens. There was a slight chill in the air, the sun setting by the time she returned to her silent house. She slept pitifully that night, tossed and turned. Eventually, around 6 a.m., Cena gave in, checked her cell. Problem, can't get back tonight. We trust you. You got this. Love you, M&D. Her stomach dropped as she read the message. She was alone. There was an element of excitement in the air as she wandered back home after school. Little kids rushed around, dressed as witches and ghosts. Stoops decorated with pumpkins. But she didn't feel festive. She thought only of Dylan. Arriving back at the empty house amplified the enormity of the task Cena had ahead of her. She wished her parents could have given her some reassurance. Dread gnawed at the pit of her stomach as she got ready for the party. She walked around the gathering, checking out who was there, trying to blend in and not show her nerves. It was dark in the graveyard, but jack-o'-lanterns had been set up casting an eerie glow. Sina was on the lookout for one thing only, Dylan. Thanks to her earlier recon, she knew the layout. There were around 50 people at the party, plenty enough to be able to slip away without anyone noticing. Suddenly, she saw him. Her palms felt sweaty. She needed to get him alone. Bravely, she sidled over, touched his arm. The electricity between them was obvious. He grinned, nodding his head in the direction of one of the gravestones at the edge of the party perimeter. Shall we? She smiled nervously, doing her best to hide her nausea. As they moved further away from the others, she pressed her hand to her bag, gaining reassurance from its contents. Her heart beat a little faster, blood thundering through her veins. She knew Dylan could sense it. He just didn't know why. He led her over to the furthest spot where there was still the smallest amount of light. This will do, he purred. Her breath hitched as her thoughts began racing. This is it. My one-way ticket to the big time. Once I do this, there is literally no going back. He lowered himself to the ground, smiling. Sina inhaled as she bent down, heart pounding. She whipped the stake from her bag and deftly plunged it straight into his chest. The surprise lasted no more than a few seconds before Dylan ripped the weapon free his beautiful face vanishing as his true vampiric form was revealed. Fangs protruded from his mouth, and he snarled at her, attempting to reach her neck. She knew he'd rip out her throat in a flash if he got close enough. Sina quickly pulled the crucifix from under her shirt, and he hissed, repelled by the object. Then, without a word, he disappeared into the darkness. What had she done? Somehow, she'd missed his heart. Her hands were shaking. Her head felt like it might explode. Her first ever hunt, and she had failed. The severe repercussions of her failure she would learn all too soon. To be continued. This week's podcast stories were edited by Marquia McCarty, Janine Pipe, and Sarah Lukasiewicz. Narration by Marquia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Lenderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Markia McCarty. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Lenderman.